Warning, Weird West Radio contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. really hates you. I just stole his money. You're the one that screwed his daughter. We made love, Jake, and it was a beautiful thing. I'm just passing through on my way to Big Kill. My brother owns a saloon there. Really? Even brothels. That sounds like my kind of town. It's time I settled down. Become an honorable citizen. Let's not go that far. It's a big kill. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Weird West Radio. We are here for another episode or another discussion on a Western film. Hello, Clint. Well, hello, Michael. All right. So you and I watched a Western movie and uh, (laughs) we are going to be discussing and breaking down the 2018 Western flick titled Big Kill. This one is a strange one for me, maybe for us. (laughs) <laughs> or, I mean, I found myself a bit confused, confused about whether or not I liked it. Okay. And even though there are some issues with the film, I did enjoy the movie because I had a good time. I had a smile on my face. I'm like, that was fun. Yeah. It's a fucking great cast. I mean, you have names like Jason Patrick, Lou Diamond Phillips, and then you have lesser known actors that also did equally as well. Uh, Christopher, uh, Christoph Sanders, Scott Martin, uh, Clint Hummel. Uh, in fact, that's probably that's probably one of the reasons why this film felt like a good time because everyone had good screen presence. Yeah, the charisma go. and chemistry on screen all worked well together. This is one of the reasons this movie worked for me. At least that's that's what I think so far. Maybe as we go through this discussion, we'll be able to figure out together with our combined powers why I like combined this movie. Powers. Our combined. Our combined wits. Maybe we'll figure it out and get to the bottom of this. Put the rings together and wonder powers activate. Yes. Well, (laughs) and typically I'm not so indecisive about a movie. I think you probably can attest to this, Clint. I'm rather Mm -hmm. absolute. I'm either it was shit or it was, (laughs) oh, my God, this is awesome. And we're going to get into all the whys and, and what worked for this movie and what possibly didn't. But first, Clint, as per usual, I want to get your initial reactions first. Well, at first, it 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 seemed like an updated Western. And what I mean by that is visually, we had the the high definition. You know what I mean? Yeah. It seemed very clean. And I'd, it's tough to put this in words because it's you actually need to see it. It's but, different. That's the I think you're feeling the same way as I do. Yeah, it's hard I, to I, figure out why. 
they didn't keep their characters super clean, right? It was right. the the everything was bright, seemed very bright and very um clean. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. Yeah. Very clear HD, very high definition. And I think, you know, from you and I our standpoint right now, we've seen so many uh, reviewed so many spaghetti westerns, which yeah. are gritty. We yeah. got we got hair in the film. We got dust and grit and blood, yep. and it's a lot of that in what we've been reviewing. And to have this one, excuse me, almost seemed like it just popped off of the screen. And to me, just my first initial reaction to it was it was kind of off putting. Yeah. Because I'm not, I'm just, not, we're, I'm not used to watching that. And then we had, um, I think it's Christopher Sanders, who's in another, on a television show that my wife and I watch. And I was like, I was waiting for him to be this kind of dopey, <laughs> right. this dopey son-in-law. Mm -hmm. And he never really was. It was kind of neat to see him grow, but I was kind of, uh, again, kind of taken out of it just because uh we watched the other show but christoph sanders is um in a sitcom oh correct yeah, last man standing i think it's yeah. called last man standing and yeah. he plays kind of a uh really a dopey son-in-law right never so gets that kind of throw you off yeah it yeah. did just a little bit but you know as it went and i'm gonna watch this again at some point because he really did a good job i agree I so, absolutely agree with you. Fun to watch him grow. Yes, yes. So let's just get into this. This film was directed by Scott Martin and written by Scott Martin, who also starred in the movie as Jake Logan. Uh, he was wearing many hats in this one. Uh, the running time is approximately uh, an 126 minutes. And the synopsis, a tenderfoot from Philadelphia Two misfits, gamblers on the run, and a deadly preacher have a date with destiny in a broomtown, in a boomtown, not a broomtown, a boomtown gone bust called Big Kill. After the death of his wife, Jim, the accountant has come from the east to join his brother in business. Jake and Travis, two misfit rogues with one foot on each side of the law, have come from the south after being run out of Mexico under a hail of gunfire. What they find in the West is a wild ride, a fight for survival, and a moment of decision that will change them all forever. Fuck, that synopsis is a bit over the top. <laughs> um, I, okay, so I think where this film succeeds is the decision to take some of the myth out of the Western and replace it with a bit of realism. And that's what I was able to glean from this movie upon sitting down and analyzing the movie. And by doing so, it gives the story a better chance of succeeding, giving our lead a chance to overcome the threats in a more realistic fashion. Sure, we had some of the glitz and gunfighter flair we've all come to expect from the larger than life Westerns. But for the most part, the story was written a bit more grounded. For example, the romanticized way we view gunfights in the old West, the fast draw standoffs that end with, you know, near perfect accuracy. And as you know, being a fast draw yourself back then guns didn't work that way. <laughs> it was very hard to hit the target unless you were like two feet away. So Scott Martin did something that not a lot of Westerns do. They took that element out 
and showed us a more realistic look at gunfights uh, because of the way the cinema has romanticized gunfights. Many of us have come to believe that, as I just said, you can pull your gun out and shoot a bullseye from 100 yards. Yeah. Whereas in reality, the guns back then were shoddy as fuck when it came to accuracy. And I totally dug that they use that aspect in this movie when it counted the most. It gave our lead Jim Andrews, the tenderfoot from Philly, equal <laughs> footing when confronting the big villain at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. I really dug that aspect. And one of the most notorious gunfights, just to give us a little more context or, or better perspective on what I'm talking about. One of the most notorious gunfights in history is the showdown at the OK Corral. And you and I have actually spoken about this before. We've used this specific historic event uh, as a way to t- discuss gunfights in in our films. And Hollywood has, you know, glitzed it up in just about every movie that has tackled that event in history. But the actual fight took place six feet apart and they were hitting for shit. I mean, bulls were flying every direction except at the target. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and the thing is, is when you're, when you're in a gunfight or, you know, in my, my situation, it was a competition, right? The adrenaline that a human being gets when either they're on a clock I can only imagine it's a hundredfold if another yep. person is shooting back. Um, there's a lot that they, you tend to get blurry. You tend to get, you know, the time. Time uh, is way different. So, Slows down. Yeah. And it's so I'm sure that even your muscles tense up. But I'm sure what I what I like about, you know, I'm, I'll use your uh, gunfight at the OK Corral is like Tombstone, yeah. the the movie. They did a fantastic job with that gunfight, right? And then like this one, they weren't perfect. And uh, I'm with you. I thought the gunfights in this were just spot on because it wasn't uh, it wasn't very show show uh, show and flare. You know what I mean? It was yeah. very real. And I think that's that comes from the writing aspect. I think that was a big strength in the script because they wanted to put this because, okay, one thing that I absolutely hate in movies is where you have the guy that doesn't know anything about using a gun. But then by the end of the movie, he can shoot like like he was (laughs) Billy the Kid, you know, like with no with no with no fucks given. This movie allowed that to resonate throughout the film, giving us that slow burn aspect to where. The like, for example, the it's like a slow, slow burn suspense. That would be the best way of of stating that that would lead to the grand finale. And because you get this idea that this guy, you know, he, he is a tenderfoot. He's never held a gun before. He doesn't even belong in the West. And in order for him to win, because this movie, the emotional part of this film, he is the emotional center piece of this film. And he needs to have that win. And how are you going to do that when you're dealing with the over the top villains that are ripped from the dime novels that are mm. that could shoot from the hip? Well, they brought that reality, that that realism to the forefront of this movie so that he can have an edge over the baddies. And for the most part. Outside of that, 
the writing was solid. Um, the script was a bit sluggish within the opening first act. And the inciting incident just felt a bit off. Mm -hmm. um, a bit of that also may have nothing to do with the script and ha have a lot to do with what you said about the the bright colors that popped, the clarity. It didn't feel like we were watching a Western. It felt like we were watching a A&E autobiography. It just mm. felt too clear and crisp and it took time and that's not the filmmaker's fault. I want to say it's it's just the way we have been tailored to watch specific types of films like the Westerns. So it took some time for me to get adjusted to the visual look. And yes, some of that may have to do with, like I said, the opening portion of the story was a bit slow. I got the idea that Martin wanted to quickly set up or convey an idea that would come back time and time again. Yep. Um, the idea that Jake Logan and Travis Parker would, were a bit selfish and only cared about drinking and gambling. And that would inevitably play into the idea by the end of the movie that they finally stood for something. They became respectable. So those opening minutes, I'd say the, I would say the first act for the most part was there to establish their way of life mm -hmm. and how meeting the tenderfoot would finally change them, that they would finally stand for something as they befriend this man from the East that's in need of their assistance. So I understand why he started the movie that way, but it did, it did hurt the film in my mind for me. I wasn't pulled in right away. Yeah. But it felt a bit fast and loose. But I feel like after that initial hump, the second and third act was very good. Very good. I was pulled into the story and I cared about the outcome. But it took about 15 to 20 minutes for me to actually care. In fact, I said this off the air that I almost shut it off after 10 minutes because I'm like, ah, this is not what I was hoping to get. Because I saw the name. I saw the names. Lou Diamond Phillips. And Jason Patrick. I was like, fuck yes. <laughs> and they weren't even in the movie until after the first act. And I, and I think that maybe my dislike for the opening portion of the movie, maybe it has to do with a lot of things. Maybe it has to do with the, with the, the bright colors that popped, the, the clarity. Maybe it had to do with the fact that I had my own expectations on the movie. That's why I feel like I'm going to go back probably in a couple of weeks and rewatch the movie now that I know what to expect mm. um, because I was heavily involved and emotionally invested by the second act and I did care about our heroes. So the writer and the director did do a good job overall with this movie. Um, for the most part, as I said, the writing was, was solid. It just took some time for us to actually care. I would say. Yeah. And I, the one thing that I've kind of found in the beginning is they just kind of threw you into something in the first act where I wasn't a hundred percent like caring about them. Exactly. You yep. know, and I kind of wish they would have set it up to where, I don't know, maybe we were hanging out with them and we kind of knew a little bit more what was happening. You yeah. Know? We were thrown in like a story mid progress. Yeah, and yeah. sometimes that works. I just think it would have worked a little bit better if we knew our characters, um, maybe even prior to, you know, maybe this was the second film. 
Right. You know, if if this was like a sequel to it and we already knew we had some backstory of how these guys got together or something like that, but it was just kind of, here's two fellas in trouble and here we go. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and honestly, the way I look at it, if you're going to have script issues, it's better that it happens at the beginning and finish strong. That way, the audiences, for the most part, will leave the theater happy. Sure. Opposed to a fantastic first and second act, and then the terrible third act comes in, and you leave the theater kicking shit as you walk out the theater. <laughs> I mean, most of us will forget and forgive the the sluggish beginning if it finishes hard, and it did. Yep. Um, you also get the sense that uh, the director and writer, Scott, Scott Martin, has an affinity for the classic American Westerns, but he also had an itch that needed to be scratched. And what is that itch? A love for Leone's pictures, the spaghetti Westerns, because the overall vibe felt like a mixture of both, but not equal parts, Clint. It was like 80-20, 80% classic American Western and 20% spaghetti Western. And he definitely clinged, he most definitely clinged to the, the American Western classics, more grounded Westerns like uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, mm. or even, say, Silverado. I you saw can, a lot of Sundance Kid, or, excuse me, yeah, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid in this, and yeah. uh, really anything else. And I actually I thought about that film when i was watching this it was very mm -hmm. one guy was kind of the rambunctious yeah outlaw and the other was very soft-spoken one or two words you know didn't really get heavily into it but he was the badass yeah the 20 percent when i say spaghetti westerns is i would say is more attributed to the idea that he he took time with his shootouts there was those close-ups you had the the classic baddie sizing up the good guys you get the the slow close-ups to the eyes. You're, the, the, the director allowed you to take in the entire atmosphere before the final shootout happened. And that's that's not American Western. That's straight up that's straight up from Leone. Leone's mm -hmm. that is the man that made that famous. And you could even see some some of that from the choice and score when it comes to his his love for the classic grounded westerns uh, in the music in the score uh, the composer for the film was uh, Kays Al Atraki I believe is how you say his name and the style felt big rather than the more nuanced stylized scores of the spaghetti westerns this felt like a homage to the big open terrain feel from movies like Quick and the Dead Silverado where you get those those aerial shots that scrape through the landscape they allow you to see the the heroes riding into town. And this is another reason I like this movie as well. Martin's attention to detail. I can appreciate a director that actually understands the genre that he's dabbling in. This is something, this is nothing new. How many times have we said this? If you're going to attempt a style or you're going to try to dabble in a specific genre, you need to understand it. And mm. I feel that Scott Martin had a very specific idea of what he wanted to do. And I feel like that's a refreshing thing when it comes to a director that does a Western. How many times do we get these low-budget Westerns nowadays? And you wonder if this guy ever even watched a Western, or if he even <laughs> understands the, the mysticism that comes with the West. 
Yeah, you see a lot that you figure that they watched one. Yeah, pretty much. You can tell a guy who's watched more than one, and this is, uh, Scott Martin's definitely the one who watched and watched uh, all, all different types. Yeah. Yeah, he had a direction and understanding, and he crafted his movie accordingly. He was a capable director. What do you know? What do you know, Clint? <laughs> so fun. Yeah. And the cinematography was decent enough. I can appreciate that they were going for those landscape shots, the classic cinemascope look. I Now, I say the classic cinemascope look. I... Yes, they were going for that. This film was a low-budget picture, so I don't believe they actually had a budget that would allow the use of anamorphic lenses. But they still did a great job capturing the landscape, capturing that feel, that vibe, that atmosphere. Which, as we know, the landscapes, the towns, and westerns, these are in many ways just as important as our heroes because a lot of times they are characters as well. In, in Westerns, there's a statement that must be made and uh, in these in these types of pictures. And he did do that. He captured the loneliness of this town so fucking well mm-hmm. with, you know, very st- static wide shots. You realize there's not a lot of moving shots when he was capturing the town. A lot of them were locked down on the sticks. And I feel like he was trying to convey an idea of loneliness, that this town is desolate. Uh, there's nobody in this town that's worth a damn it's filled and overran by bad people yeah i had a few issues you know nitpicky stuff that others might not have noticed um, but at the beginning of the film you might have noticed this client the character logan is waiting for his friend parker to finish his business with a uh, local hottie which mm-hmm. by the way let's just stop there for a second and appreciate all the hot women in this western please yeah, he he definitely deserved a, a nice pick. Yeah, they des- they deserve a standing ovation. Uh, titties, <laughs> asses. Yes, well, we need to get more of this. Thank you, Scott Martin. I we salute you, dear sir. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a, a moment in this movie at the beginning where Logan is waiting for his friend Parker to finish his business with a hottie, and Logan walks in and out of his light. Either the shiny board was not locked down or Scott missed his mark. It definitely pulled me out. It was oh, noticeable I'm, that the light actually moved away from his eyes. I'll have to uh, rewatch. And again, this is why I'm confused with this movie. Like I said, like usually I'm very absolute. Oh, it's shit or it's great because things like that put a bad taste in my mouth at the beginning of the movie. If this would have happened halfway through or at the end, I'm like, I probably wouldn't have even noticed because I would have been too immersed in the movie at that point. But sure. the fact that it happened early on within the opening five minutes, it it gave me this. Oh, my God, really? It, it, gave, it gave it a low budget feel to me. And I understand this is a low budget film, but it made me feel like I didn't want to pay attention any longer because you can't even pay attention to your light. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't recall that, so I'm going to have to go back and just kind of pay attention a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, that I could see how that would uh, not There was another the moment in the town where you can distinctly notice an airplane light flickering over the town. Yeah. I mean, it could have oh, been shit. a star, 
<laughs> but it looked too noticeable. Stars are a bit so dumb. Was it to the north? Stars are a bit harder to notice on camera because of the amount of light being used on a set to boost the ambience. So for a regular lens to capture a star that well with that much clarity is quite a feat unless you're trying to do it. So I'm thinking it was an airplane. And the reason why that irks me a bit is because it's not that hard in editing to take that out. It really isn't. In fact, you probably could have done it while you're shooting. Practically, you could have done something. You could have put a flag in front of it. There's things that you can do to eliminate that. So I'm not very sure about that aspect. I I did have some problems with the cinematography. I liked some of the directing choices when it came to the cinematography, but I felt like the moment Scott Martin had to pay attention to something else, whether it be acting or writing or directing, the cinematographer didn't do a great job. There was a lot of boring and bland shots. I feel like the writing was, was pretty fucking good, but the cinematography didn't match at times. Uh, when we should have had more, sure. I want to say innovative movements or innovative chosen shots, uh, we went with the bland and easy. And I don't know if that's just a product of the budget and maybe he couldn't afford a hardcore cinematographer. But unfortunately, we, the cinematography didn't match the energy of the movie, especially at the end of the at the end of the film where you have this high energy buildup, as I said, there's this suspense, there's a slow burn, you know, you know, it's all going to end in a, in a bloody shootout by the end of the film, but the cinematography doesn't match the suspense. It doesn't match that energy. And that definitely could have been, I didn't mean to cut you off. I apologize. Well, I was just going to say, I think that was part of the issue throughout this film too because it does take you out um as far as you feel like they you should be a little more engrossed in it like we always use the analogy of fly on the wall Uh, a horse head looking into the saloon would have been okay on this one it seemed like we were actually an audience watching a film and sometimes you know which i mean by that is we're just pulled back a little bit too far from everything Right. You don't feel like we, they did their job to immerse us. Right. And is that what you're trying to say? Yeah. yeah. And the one one part is that I, I, I did appreciate that they, for landscape shots, they mm-hmm. almost had that John Ford feel. They wanted Absolutely. you to feel the vastness, the openness of the Old West, the, you know, and I, I, I dig that. I like those little kickbacks every once in a while. And that's one of the reasons why, Clint, I'm bothered by this movie, because I feel like Scott Martin had massive skills. I feel like he was a capable actor, capable writer, capable director. But the cinematography eh, didn't match the other skill sets. I I feel like he might have made a I hate to say that, but I think he might have made a poor decision with with this cinematographer. Just because it didn't quite match everything he was trying to do with this picture. Now you have the obvious moments like those spaghetti Western shots. I was telling you that we were talking about at the, towards the end of the movie, there's those aerial shots, 
But those are very specific moments where Scott Martin was no doubt involved. He's a, he was probably there saying, okay, now for this shot, we really need to emphasize the close-ups. We need to make sure the audience is immersed in this shootout. Okay, for this scene, we need those aerial shots, those classic John Ford moments. Those are moments where the director is no doubt involved because he's trying to say something specifically during those moments. But then the other times when it isn't as specific and you have to rely solely on the cinematographer to make the choices. Those are the moments that I felt were the weakest mm-hmm. when I feel like maybe the cinematographer didn't have direction or he didn't quite understand how to shoot a Western or to create energy and add to the ambience. And maybe just maybe that had to do again with the desolate feeling that the movie had purposely because of the town being a, a former boom town gone bust. So maybe they were trying to do that. Maybe they were trying to make more boring shots. I don't know. <laughs> and maybe that's what they were thinking to help convey and possibly evoke a feeling, but or invoke a feeling. But ultimately, maybe that just wasn't a good decision. Sure. There's other ways I think they could pull that feeling out of the audience. Yeah. Definitely not being as bright (laughs) all the time. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And it's not just the brightness. Like, I think I want to, because I know what you're saying, but let's, let's, let's uh, get into that a bit more because I agree. It's not just bright in terms of exposure. We're not talking about camera work. There's also colors that are just overly saturated and one blinding. And I'm talking blinding, not because it's, it's obvious. I'm talking, I was blinded. (laughs) By how bright it was. And it's the goddamn stagecoach. Yeah, that that was painful. It looked like it just came off the track. Like they just right off the conveyor belt, not even made in the 1800s. It was so fucking bright red. It was fire engine red. I was going to text you on that because I was watching and I was like, hey, a movie that has a brand new stagecoach in a a low downtown. Yeah. I was like, "Uh." I can tell you why that was the case. You want to know why? Because it was rented? Yes. Yep. Because when I was shooting my Westerns, we had choices to use certain things. And when you're when you have a low budget, you can't afford to have something made specifically for your picture. So you're kind of. You kind of you have slim pickings, so possibly they probably rented this from a museum. That's what it looked like. It looked like a. What's the word I'm looking for when you remake something? Refurbish. It feels like someone made this stagecoach for a museum. And like I said, I've shot things at Western ghost towns. And for the most part, you can get away pretty good using the, the, the settings there. But then you have the newer stuff that they had just brought in to add a look to the town so that tourists can see, oh, look at a stagecoach and a wagon. Oh, this really is a Western town. But unfortunately, it's brand fucking new. Yeah. And I remember to this day, the owner of this ghost town that I was shooting at said, would you like to use our stagecoaches? And I looked at them. I said, no, thanks, because they were blindingly new. Sure. And sure, sure, there are new things in the Old West. That's 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 kind of a 
a silly claim. Yeah. Oh, it should look old. Why? <laughs> because it's in the 1800s. Guess what? Things were new back then, too, at that time. But I think slightly used is all right. Right. I feel like they it was such a clash. You have this the paint. The paint was still wet. <laughs> yes. You have these <laughs> muted tones with the desert. And then suddenly you have this bright red stagecoach with bright yellow tires. The tires were going through the dirt and it didn't even look like it has ever been used. Freshly whacked. And that adds to the opening portion of the movie where I almost turned it off because that was also at the beginning. So things like that I, it leaves you wanting, it leaves you not wanting, <laughs> yeah. you know, so th that's, I guess that's a, a little nitpick, but it, it does add to your movies and set design, production design, art department is all very vital. And I feel like that was a mistake out of all, out of everything you can point to in this movie. I would say that's the only mistake. I can justify other things because of, you know, creative, creative direction. You know, I'm not the director mm -hmm. of this movie. Scott Marin probably had reasons why he, he did specific things that I may not agree with as a critic or even a filmmaker. But that moment with that stagecoach scenes like that, that I felt like was a poor decision. And maybe it's a product, as I said, of having a low budget and not having access to other things. So it's the lesser of two evils. Either you have a stagecoach sure. or you don't. Yep. And it didn't play a vital role. No, it didn't. It didn't. I mean, you could have you could have easily done something to where you could even have the sound of a stagecoach running off and someone getting off. It didn't have to be the actual stagecoach. Right. And they did stuff then, like... Then maybe you could afford to take out the airplane that was flying around. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, you never know. Yeah. Another thing that really, I feel, really saved this movie, it's 100% the acting. I felt like the mm -hmm. acting was really good. I'm a really big fan of both Jason Patrick and Lou Diamond Phillips. I followed Lou's career most of my life. He's a talent that's, that I feel has never gotten the credit he deserves, unfortunately. So when this trailer dropped several months ago, and I saw Lou Diamond Phillips in an all red suit with guns strapped to his hip. I'm like, fuck an A, sign me up. Be Henry's a baddie. Yeah. I mean, it's so good to see him play roles like that. Uh, and then mm -hmm. also Jason Patrick. Jason Patrick's another actor that doesn't get the credit he deserves. This is a man that's been around forever, forever. Um, Outsiders, Entourage, uh, In the Valley of Ela, Narc. I love that movie. Speed 2, Wayward Pines. I can go on and on. There's just t tons of things he's been in. Uh, the Lost Boys, he played Michael. Uh -huh. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Geronimo, an American legend. He was Lieutenant Charles Gatewood. He's been in a lot of things. A lot of things. He was a, uh, had a big part in Sleepers. If you guys remember that big hit from 1996, he's been around for quite some time and he has this casual way. He played this villain where he was not drunk, but he was a, a dope. He was a dope fiend. He was a heroin addict. I should say you, you saw that a couple moments and you could see mm. it in his eyes, the way he played the laziness and the way he would move his head very casually and his eyes wouldn't follow his head. His eyes would stay and then they would come 
the eyes would match his head movement after a couple seconds. It, there was just this way he played it. There was this laziness to every movement, whether it be his eyes, his his hand gestures, the way he walks. Dude, he was fucking good. And I did not expect mm-hmm. him to play that role. He played this piece of shit preacher, air quotes here. He had some <laughs> he had some I wish we learned more about his backstory because I didn't understand yeah. it. But I didn't really need to, I guess, when it, it didn't really matter to this movie. Although because his performance was so good, I'm like, fuck, dude, I wish we knew more about this guy. Uh, and, and- there was a uh, when he mentions he goes, hi, I'm the preacher. Yeah. And uh, he says he just nonchalantly goes, no shit. <laughs> You know, but it was, it was real. Yeah. It was like, it wasn't like no shit. It was like, no shit. Yeah. <laughs> it was very, it was one of the, the funny moments in it because I actually had to go back to it three times. Cause I just was like, that's a real moment. Yeah. It was funny. And dude, the power, the power of star power, the power of good actors, because once they entered the screens, once they entered the frame, everything came together. Did you notice that? Mm-hmm. The yes. moment Jason Patrick and Lou Diamond Phillips entered the screen, everything fell together. Everything came together. Even Christoph Sanders, Scott Martin, and Clint Hommel, all of their performances were heightened. Everyone came together. And that's a real thing. If you've ever been on a set, I'm not saying Scott Martin and Clint Hommel and Christoph Sanders aren't good actors. They are. But when you pair less experienced actors with experienced actors, it creates an energy and everybody performs that much better. And it was obvious because that's the moment when you're entering into the second act and you introduce the villains. That's the moment when the entire movie came together, when you forgot about the red stagecoach and you, for, <laughs> you forgot about the, you know, Scott uh, plane and you forgot about and tattoo running around saying the plane to plane. <laughs> and you forgot Scott Martin, you know, stepping out of, his, you know, missing his mark and he, and the light flashes other in other directions off the back wall. That's why it's so important to cast these types of characters. And because I know what to look for when you schedule a movie, I'm pretty certain they shot the bulk of their stuff, you know, Lou Diamond Phillips and uh, Jason Patrick, either first or last. And they were probably not on set for many days. But that shows me that Scott Martin knew how to get this movie made. He and the crew did a good job making the audience feel like those characters were around more than they actually were. But when you really break yeah. it down, they were only in a few scenes, but the way it was edited and paced out, it made you feel like they were around far more than they actually were. What was or were. Yeah. And I don't think we should leave out the assassin bitch. Oh, Stephanie Baran, I believe is how you say her name. Oh, Good God in heaven. Thank you for dangerous. making boobs. Dangerous. She is steamy. She stabs him in the back. Why? Yeah. <laughs> tough love and i'm like yeah listen i, That's I, enough I of think that. i think clint hummel is me like that would be me if i was uh that actor um travis parker the the character he played sure that's me like if i live in the old west i'm like giddy up i'd be i'd go for all the crazy hot chicks yeah and i'd be just the guy like no shit because <laughs> You know, that's how we record. <laughs> it's, One you word know what? Come to good. think of it, I think I think you are, you know, Jake Logan and I'm Travis Parker. <laughs> I think if we were cast in movies, those are exactly the roles we would be. 
Clint, you just sit there. Okay. Oh, man, that's funny. <laughs> but yeah, oh, I, the acting, I, I felt like everyone was capable and the chemistry was noticeable on screen. Everyone played well together. I mean, Lou Diamond Phillips standing off, you know, opposite of Scott Martin and Clint Hommel and Christoph Saunders. I, I, it was a good scene. It was a yeah. good scene. And anytime he walked into the saloon, he antagonized our heroes. It just brought a, a certain amount of intensity to the scene that I felt like the opening sequence was missing. I didn't feel the intensity like when uh, during the opening, se- uh, the opening minutes when they're running away from Danny Trejo's character and the Mexican army, I didn't feel the intensity. I didn't feel that they were in danger. But then when right. these, you know, Jason Patrick and Lou Diamond Phillips are playing these villains in this saloon, and in this town, I felt the intensity. I felt like these characters were in way over their head. I felt the danger. But when they were running from, I will have to give the credit, mm-hmm. uh, when they were running from the from Danny Trejo's, the Mexican army, and they get what they feel past the border. And they're like, <laughs> that was funny. they can't go any farther. And they keep coming. They're not supposed to do that, or however he puts it. And yeah. he's like, they, they're not supposed to go that far. That was pretty clever. Yeah. I like that. I thought that was cool. Yeah. They're good actors too, man. I'm not, I'm definitely not saying they're not. It, it's definitely. No, they yeah. are. They really. They won me over. It made me feel like I was watching a 1980s Western, like young guns. It was that type of. Uh, yes. It was that yep. type of camaraderie between the heroes. Speaking of which, I didn't care for the soundtrack. The soundtrack actually reminded me of some of the 80s westerns yeah. that you saw on tv yeah. and i thought that took me out just a little bit but with that said i was more into the the visuals than i was the uh soundtrack but the 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 score to it really really reminded me of some 80s uh westerns that we had and i and i don't know if that's you can buy them on the cheap or what but that i really wish they would have done a better job with that yeah. Yeah, I agree. Now, overall, I do not agree with the rest of the mainstream critics. The general consensus is that it's a bad movie. And I would not agree with that. And if you go to Rotten Tomatoes, the mainstream critics gave this, it's, I should say, it's this film, if you go to Rotten Tomatoes, is sitting at 22%. That's the rating that most of the mainstream critics is giving this film, right? Well, the audience is giving it 79%. They're liking it. Oh, so I feel like with this movie, we are more in sync with the audience. This is one review. Big kill plays on the screen for a little more than two hours, but at best it contains maybe 30 minutes of story. I disagree. Uh, Those timeless New Mexico backdrops may lend the production its desired authenticity, but all those structural wide open spaces stop Big Kill dead in its tedious tracks. An amateur's attempt to recycle old Hollywood cliches, John Ford mimicked by inept wannabes. I don't I don't agree with that. I feel like he was trying to pay homage to another time to an earlier time in cinema. I was there. Some issues overall, absolutely, but not 22% on Rotten Tomatoes, Mm. maybe 60, maybe 65. 
Um, I, I feel like the, the the worst part of this movie, and I'm going to say worst part was was the was the production design, or may possibly the art department. Is that big fine, you know, that big fucking shining fire engine red stagecoach? <laughs> it was like a fucking beacon. Yeah, you know, put that on a shoreline during a storm, and I think all the boats will will steer clear. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we do need to get into the saloon. It is that time, Clint. Let's kick open those saloon doors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's say hi to Felicia Stiletto, the hottie. Like, what's up? Hello. Just watch your back. Yeah, we also say hi to Josie. Hi, Josie. Don't be so coy. Come on over to the saloon. <laughs> and wow. um, that sounded predator oh, no, no, come on. We're cowboys. <laughs> We're in a saloon right now. No. <laughs> No, no judge, no judgment, Clint. But you are the guy who gets the women, so I can't. Yeah, exactly. Let's not forget Olivia, too. Hello, Olivia. Come on over. Sit on my lap. Now that's creepy. <laughs> All right. We're at the bar, Clint. How many shots of whiskey do you give this film? And tell me your final thoughts, please. Well, my final thoughts are this. It's it's a fun, buddy cowboy movie. I th- I think it was... I don't want to say simple, because I, I think that... I, I got to get that out of my my vocabulary. Right. It was easily uh, an easy Western to watch, because it the first act was a little sketchy, but I think we picked up speed, and it got we got more in, into it. Um, but I, I think any traditional Western fan is going to really dig it. Uh, so I actually give it four stars. Four shots of whiskey. Wow. Not stars. Four shots of whiskey. Okay. Because it actually went pretty well after that, uh, after we got into the town. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, now that I'm uh, done talking to Felicia Stiletto and she threw me out of her room and I hit the ground, hurt my back, but also I enjoyed it just like Travis Parker did. I'm definitely <laughs> going to go back for seconds, if you know what I mean. I'm going to go ahead and belly up to the bar, and I'm going to take three and a half shots of whiskey. And I know some people may have watched this movie and said, man, I thought you guys had much better taste. Like, oh, what's going on with you guys? But as I said at the beginning of the movie, I'm confused. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's there's your out. Because (laughs) I will be honest, this movie has a lot of issues. It does. It's not perfect by any means. And typically, when we would review or discuss a movie like this, we would probably give it, like, no shots of whiskey. But there's something about it. There's a charm to it. There is something that it's enjoy. It's enjoyable. I think that's the easiest way of saying it, that sometimes movies can be eh, ho-hum and still be a good time. And I feel ultimately, yeah, the movie might have lacked a little bit of substance, but this is a popcorn Western flick. Just sit back. Don't overthink it. Put your feet up and enjoy and enjoy yourself. Now, I don't want to use that excuse for all bad movies because there are some movies that are so bad that it's just insulting your intelligence. I don't feel like the director at any moment was trying to insult our intelligence with just laughable concepts or, no. you know, there wasn't the overuse of exposition trying to explain things. There were things that just worked. And I, I like the gritty, I like the, not the gritty, but I like the grounded realism that he brought to this Western. One of my favorite scenes was the end when um, the tenderfoot, um, Jim Andrews, took on the preacher who was this 
you know, well, I want to say fine tuned killing machine. Obviously, this guy had no problems killing people. But that ending fight scene, spoiler here, I thought was awesome. We don't, when do we ever see a Western where two people are standing right next to each other and they can't hit each other? <laughs> and it wasn't meant to be funny. It was meant to show the realism of the time that yep. guns didn't work how we think they do. Because in Westerns, we romanticize the gunfights. I loved it. I liked that part. It brought a smile to my face. Even Jason Patrick's character, the preacher, was like shrugged. And it's like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> Am I about to be killed by this dude? Yeah. But it was realistic because this, you could you could see this very well happening if we were to if we lived in the 1800s and we witnessed a gunfight. It, it gives the upper hand to a character or a person like Jim Andrews who has no experience in shooting because both guns are shoddy. Yeah. So I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. I, and I think most Western fans will probably enjoy this. I, I will say that I don't think regular casual moviegoers will enjoy this very much. But I think if you're into Westerns, give it a go. Right? Is that fair? Yep. I think so. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening to this discussion on The Big Kill. The 2018 film directed and written by Scott Martin. We had a great time. If you miss any part of this broadcast because you're listening to us on Weird West Sunday on RM Channel 001, you can find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, as well as Spotify. Just search Weird West Radio. Thank you, Clint. Thank you, Michael. And good night. Or said he be taken from such prison to a suitable and convenient place of execution within said county and there be hanged by the neck till he be dead, dead, dead. Now, do you have anything to say, young man? Yes, Your Honor, I do. <clears throat> you can go to hell, hell, hell. <laughs> <laughs>